Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. I'm going to share a message from Acts 9. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts 9. I'm going to talk about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And um, this message is called A Street Called Straight. A Street Called Straight. Um, So I want to just go through some of Acts 9, um, talking about Saul when he met Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. so I want to talk about Saul and his um, encounter with Jesus. As I was kind of getting ready to teach the, the water baptism class, everyone who gets water baptized, we do a class right before church. I, I get to kind of explain the importance of water baptism. But as I was kind of preparing, I was asking myself this deep theological question. When I'm up late at night, I can't fall asleep, I ask myself very deep theological questions. But I ask myself this question, you know, why did Jesus get water baptized? I was kind of thinking about why did Jesus get water baptized? You know, typically we, we talk about water baptism like we, we do it because we're saying yes to Jesus and it's a, it's a, a sign it's that we're identifying with Jesus. We're, we're dying to our old sins. We go in the water. We're dying to our old self, the old sin nature, and we're going to live to Jesus, right? We're choosing to live for Jesus. But, but Jesus, when he was water baptized, he didn't have to repent from any sin, Right? He, he, he never sinned. He didn't have a sin nature. He was, he was born, born of the Virgin Mary, but he was born of, of the seed of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't have a sin nature. His nature was completely righteous. But why did Jesus choose to be water baptized? I believe that he chose to be water baptized because he wanted to meet humanity where we're at. That's why God became man, because he wanted to meet us right where we're at. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what what you're experiencing, no matter what's happening in the world today, there's a lot of craziness in the world today, but, but, but God wants to meet people right where they're at. He wants to meet them, to get to know them, to, to have a relationship with them, and to, to bring them home into, into his kingdom. Amen. He wants to meet people right where they're at. And I believe that Jesus, when he was water baptized, that was his way of showing that I'm, I'm ready to meet people right where they're at. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit just came upon him, descended upon him, remained upon him. And that's when his, his, his full-out ministry began to humanity. Um, so I'm just really excited that people tonight are saying yes to Jesus. They're ready to meet Jesus right there at the water, and just to live for him. So it's going to be a powerful night. So a street called straight. Let's start here in Acts 9. Begin in verse 1. I love this story. And um, one thing I love about it is is right from the beginning, um, we see that Saul has a meeting with Jesus. He meets Jesus, and he asks some questions. So my first point is this, that there are questions that every person has to ask. And Saul asked some of these questions. So there are questions that every single person on the earth must ask. And I believe that God wants to have an encounter with every person on the face of the earth. So Acts 9 verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way. I like that. I like that description of believers, any who are of the way. I like that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father must come through me. So if you said, yes, Jesus, you are the way, then you are part of the way. Who here tonight is is part of the way? 
And you're only part of the way if you, if you believe that Jesus is the way. All right? If he finds any who are of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? So he asked that first important question that every living, breathing person needs to ask. Who are, who are you, Lord? Who, who is God? Who, how did I get here? What's the, who are you, Lord? He asked that first question. And then the Lord said to him, as plain as, plain as day, I am Jesus. I love that. He said, who, he knew he was talking to the Lord, right? He was talking to the almighty God, the one true, eternal, self-existent God. He knew this wasn't a coincidence. And he, and he said, who are, he knew he was talking to the Lord. And, and the Lord said to him, I am Jesus. I love that. Who, who is God? Who is the creator of the heavens and the earth? Who, why are you here? Who, who made you? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Jesus is Lord. I love that Jesus said himself, I am Lord. I am Lord. Jesus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the second great question that everyone needs to ask themselves is, what, Lord, what do you want me? A lot of people ask themselves, well, what do I want to do? Or they'll ask their school teachers, well, what do you want me to do? Or they ask their parents, well, what do you want me to do? You know, so, some of you are, are getting, you know, older in high school, and you have to start asking yourself this question, well, what am I going to do? A lot of people don't know what they are to do. There are a lot of people living life aimlessly, living life without purpose. And if you want to live life with purpose, you need to talk to the person who, who purposely made you. You are made for a purpose and on a purpose. And if you want to live with purpose, it makes sense to ask the guy who created you. You know, I, I remember kind of wondering what I'm going to do with my life. I, you know, I... I my, this teacher thinks I should do this. This, this coach thinks I should do this. You know, this boss thinks I should do this. This, you know, grandparent thinks I should do this. This parent thinks I should do this. My brother thinks I should, I should do this. I think I should do this. But you need to ask yourself, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Saul, Saul you know, in that, that one red sentence there in verse 5, I am Jesus, his whole world was shaken. He lived his life very strictly, very adamantly, very zealously for one way. And then in that, that one sentence where God spoke to him, he realized that everything prior to that one voice speaking to him was completely wrong. And, and his, his next question that he asked after realizing that this is Jesus was a very good question. It's, he, he realized it's not about what I want to do. It's not about what my society wants me to do. It's not about what my teachers want me to do. It's not about what, what generations before me have taught me to do. Now it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And the Lord said to him, I, I, the Lord speaks sometimes very simply. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. It's good, good information to know. Especially if you were killing Christians just the week before. And he asked another great, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, my goose is cooked here. You could just zap me right now if you wanted to. But God, God had another plan for him. He said, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I love that. God sometimes, he, he often speaks to me that way. God, what do you want me to do? Why don't you be nice to your wife? And then I'll tell you what you must do. Like, sometimes he gives you one simple thing to do. Why don't you do your homework? And then I'll tell you what you must do. Why don't you... Sometimes he'll, he'll give you something sometimes very simple. Arise, go into the city, and then you'll be told what you must do. So let's go on here in verse 7. It says, The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither, neither ate nor drank. So they brought him to Damascus. He was there three days, didn't eat, didn't drink. To me, this is kind of a picture of what Jesus did for us. He, he's, he spent three days in the tomb before he came out of that tomb. So he, he was... In a way, I think in this three-day period, he was dying to who he used to be. He used to be pretty proud of himself. I'm very accomplished. I've done a lot. He talks about it in Philippians. He said, I, I am, I'm the greatest Jew that has ever walked on the face of the earth. I live according to the law, and, and not only that, I've kept the law perfectly. He was pretty proud, of, but I think, I think in this three-day period, it, it took him three days to... To die to himself, to die to, to uh, that, that type of identification. I'm proud of my, of my good deeds. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud. He identified as all of these things before. I identified as a Benjamite, as a Pharisee, as someone who's so zealous for God, I would even persecute people, even kill people. But, but, his, his, his identification was re, reorienting. Right now, there is a, a, a war going on in the world for identity, especially for young people. When I met Javier, Pastor Javier, two years ago and interviewed him, I said, you, you have to preach on identity all the time. All who, who, who are you? What must you do? Who is the Lord? The, the world is after your identity. The enemy is after your identity. He wants to screw with people's identity. And the enemy is a deceiver, and he is, he is rampantly deceiving people on the earth today. But if you are firmish, fir, firmly established in your identity in Jesus, first and foremost, 
People want, want you to identify with your gender first or your race or your, your economic status or your occupation or your relationship status. Are you single? Are you dating? Are you whatever? Your identity has to be first in this. I am part of the way. I identify with Jesus. Things that, that I might hold dear to myself, maybe that, that I, I'm, I'm a man, I'm of French heritage, that I'm married, that, I, that I'm a pat. All of these things are insignificant compared to I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I don't live on my own. I live through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for me. This life is not my own. My identity is not my own. If Jesus says I am something, that's who I am. If someone says I'm stupid, I have the mind of Christ. If someone says I'm ugly, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If someone says I'm worthless, I know that I am accepted in the beloved. My identity first and foremost comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from a political party. It doesn't come from, from a... There is so much screwed up stuff coming after people's identity today. God doesn't care if you're white, black, brown, yellow, man, woman, young, old, rich, poor, smart, dumb. He doesn't care what, what you get on your SAT score. He doesn't care if you make 50000 a year or $50 million a year. God cares more about you than anyone on this earth will ever care about you. People, people, people try to manipulate others by saying, I care for you more than they care for you. Your parents don't care for you. You should reject their values. Your school, your church doesn't care for you. Your pastors don't care. Your, your, that political party doesn't care for you. I care for you more than anyone. Liar. You didn't die on a cross for me. You didn't get up out of a grave for me. God cares way more about you than anyone ever else will. So what he says about you trumps what it. If someone speaks something that's against what God says about you, Amen. it's worthless. Amen. God doesn't create screw-ups. And there is a God. There is a creator. Wherever you see order, wherever you see beauty, there is something behind it. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a classical musician. I might play a little tune for you a little bit later. I have a little example I might share with you. But when, when I hear beautiful music on the radio, for me, beautiful music is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. When I hear that come on the radio, on the classical radio station, I don't think, wow, that's amazing that 
There was just a cat walking by, a, a bottle of ink, and it just spilled onto music paper, and there's this great, magnificent creation. You know, Heather and I went to, to Italy for our honeymoon. We went to Rome. We got to see um, the, the, the Sistine Chapel, where Michelangelo spent years painting one of the greatest works of art, you know, God touching man. When I saw that, I didn't think, wow, that's amazing. There was just this bucket of paint and there was a big bang and boom, this beautiful work of art is there. Wherever you see order, wherever you see beauty, there is a creator. Period. If you say there, there is no God, there is no creator, there is no purpose, everything just happened from chaos, you are a complete and utter fool. Prove it. Prove something beautiful happened from chaos. All right, verse 10. I, I got off track there for a minute. That's all right. My next point is this. Jesus always sees potential in people. He always sees potential in people. Let's go here in verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. I, I love the story about Ananias. He was a, what was he? A disciple. You know, he, wasn't, he wasn't a famous preacher. He didn't write a best-selling book. He didn't have a church. He, he was a disciple. God likes to use ordinary people for, for big things. Ananias didn't write a book out of the Bible. But God speaking to Ananias and said, hey, you're, I have something for you. He's a disciple. And, and God's going to have him meet with one of the most influential Christians to ever walk on the face of the earth. Ananias, an, an ordinary disciple, just a follower of Jesus. He said to him, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So I know that Saul, who, who had this experience and saw God, he was waiting in Damascus. God then spoke more to Saul and gave him a vision. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to have you meet this disciple named Ananias. He's going to pray for you, and you're going to receive your sight. I, I just love this, that, that, that one, you know, God speaks to people in different ways. You know, he spoke to, to Saul in an audible voice, and now we know he spoke to him in a vision, but he's also speaking to other people. God, God works through relationships. He speaks through relationships, right? Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Do you think God knows this? God's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. I know everything. I am omniscient. I am all-knowing. I know, I know what Saul has done. 
But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of God. saw potential in Saul. Other people, they might, they might have looked at Saul and said, this, this guy is a terrorist. He was a Middle Eastern terrorist, probably willing to, to, to kill himself to kill other people. God always sees potential in people. He said, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he's saying, I I see potential in him. He is a chosen vessel of mine. Ananias just saw a terrorist, but Jesus saw that he was an apostle. I've chosen him, I'm sending him, I'm sending him to Gentiles, to kings, to the children of Israel. I, I, just, I just love reading about Jesus because he always sees potential in people. He would pick the most rejected people in society. The people that, that people saw as complete rejects and completely transformed them. You might feel like a reject. You might feel like you're broken. You might feel hopeless. You might feel like you're in a bad situation. But God right now sees tremendous potential in you. Jesus would look at paralytics, people who couldn't walk and see praise dancers. Jesus would look at mute people who couldn't even speak and see worship leaders. Jesus will look at harlots, prostitutes, women of the night, and see evangelists, people who would change an entire city. Jesus would look at redneck, uneducated, hicks, cussing fishermen, and saw, that's a preacher right there. He would look at kids growing up in trailer parks, In Penrose, Colorado, and see multi-million dollar businessmen who would start churches and help other people start churches and grow the kingdom of God. Jesus sees potential in in you. He sees potential in other people, and, and he leads you to see potential in other people and other things as well. Jesus is always seeing potential. Where people see ruined cities, he sees restoration. You know, just just the other day, I I, I was praying and I felt led to get on eBay. How many of you like eBay? How many of you you like looking for deals? Maybe thrift store shopping? You You like looking for some potential out there. I got on eBay, and I like flutes, so I got on eBay. This is about two weeks ago, and I got this flute. And I saw it on, on the pictures. The pictures weren't very good. The, the flute was completely black. Most people looking at that thing, that's not that pretty. It's completely black, and uh, it was made in 1895. So it has like 127 years of tarnish. But I saw some potential there. It was, it was priced, I mean, took a little bit of money to buy it, but I saw that it was worth three times what this guy wanted for it. Because I, I, I know I have some knowledge. God sees potential in you where other people might not see it. 
So I got this thing, I got it delivered here. It came in the original case, 127-year-old case, completely falling apart, couldn't even close, completely black. Saturday morning, I said, Heather, you're gonna have to watch the kids for a bit. I'm gonna take this thing apart. I got the silver polish, I got my rag, took the thing apart, scrubbed away. Four hours of scrubbing, shiny. I like shiny things. But where some people saw the black, they saw the old age, I saw there's something really cool about that. It's unique, there's not a lot of them out there. This, this particular brand is a very special brand. Every modern flute is patterned after this French flute maker. And, and um, he's known as the Stradivarius of flutes. People still play on these flutes today, but it's very rare to find one in its original state. And, and to me, the blackness on it was actually a good sign. It means it hadn't been tampered with, it hadn't been screwed with, it, it was still in the original case. Some guy bought this thing and just left it. He wasn't a very good flute student, he just left it in his closet for probably 100 years. <laughs> Nate's laughing, he's, he's trained on the, his violin's probably sitting under his bed right now. <laughs> in his office. But you know, the, the, the true value of something isn't known until it's in the hands of a master. Your true value, your true potential really won't be illuminated until you're in the hands of the master. You might think, well, I, I, I'm most valuable when I'm doing this or when this person is in control or when I'm in control. No, your, your true value is known once it's in the hands of a master. And I, I, I didn't even know the value of this thing until I played it myself. And maybe you've never given your life completely over to the master, but you won't really know your purpose, you won't really know your value until you just say, Master, Jesus, take me as I am. And when you do that, he's gonna make you look a lot better than you did before you met him. And it's not that much work for him. He's in the, the restoration business. So I, I was, you know, when, when I first bought the flute, I was a little scared, is this, is this a scam? You know, I sent the guy the money. And then once I get the packet, I, you know, I told the, the, the secretary here at church, please, here's my number, as soon as you get this package, like, please call me right away because I'm really eager to see what this thing is like. Because I, I saw pictures, but I didn't really know what it's like until I actually blow hot air through a silver pipe. And when I did, I was very excited because I knew, I knew there was tremendous potential there, tremendous value there, and when I played on it, I knew there was something special about it, something unique about it. So I'm gonna play for you the, the very first song I ever learned on the flute. And I think you guys will recognize it. Well, let the kids hear it too. The kids are coming and they should hear this.
It's good to see the kids. They're going to watch their friends get baptized tonight. Some good. Welcome, Carrie's kids. How many of you enjoyed uh, the, ki- the Karis Kids Choir at Easter? That was an awesome Raise a Hallelujah they all sang. So I started playing the flute when I was in fourth grade. Who, who out there is in fourth grade? This is when I, I first learned the flute. And this is the first song I ever played when I was in fourth grade. I sounded pretty good, but I sound a little bit better now. I wasn't quite at the master level yet. Not too bad for a 127-year-old flute. So even if you're not in the youth or kids, no one here is 127 years old, but God can use old, old things too, and young things and elders. I'm getting to be an old thing. I asked some of the youth if they thought I was young, and they said, no, you're an old <laughs> You're an old thing. But I know that God restores my youth and that God's word is greater than that word. (laughs) Anyways, we'll continue here. Let's go on in our story here. Verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hand on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he, was, he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. As, as I was kind of thinking about this um, account of Saul being Ananias, I believe that he, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior in that moment. He also, I believe that, that Ananias said, hey, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that he received that power 
that Pentecostal firepower right there in that moment. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he said, hey, you need to be baptized in water as well. So Paul experienced all three baptisms. He was baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved on his heart in that three-day period where he didn't eat, drink. He, he said, I'm going to live for God now. He, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was also baptized in water by a disciple named Ananias. And it said he had received some food. He was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And the rest is history. Right? So I love, I love this story because Jesus saw tremendous potential in Saul. Probably no one else saw in him what Jesus saw. But when Saul gave his life to Jesus, Saul who later became Paul, he put his hands in the hands of the master, right? And, and, and once, once you give your life to Jesus, once you say, Jesus, I, I want to live for you. I believe that my purpose is found in you. Lord, who are you? And now what do you want me to do? You're, you're everything's better with Jesus. Everything's better when, when it's, it's in the hands of where it belongs. And maybe, maybe you've placed your, value in the hands of others, you need to place, place your meaning, your purpose, your identity in the hands of Jesus. And, and um, man, true life is found in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.charischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.